Welcome to the Belgium Fintech Magazine, the place where digital finance fans can discover and learn all about the latest trends in our industry. I'm Alessandra, the CEO of Fintech Belgium, and I'm very happy to collaborate with Chris to co-create this interview. In this episode, Chris is joined by Frank, Head of Digital Trust Solutions at Proximus, to discuss digital KYC and its impact on the financial world. Frank explains the idea of shared KYC, where clients create a KYC file that can be shared with various providers, making the process more efficient amongst many other advantages. They'll touch upon the ethical aspects of AI and the need to balance technology with human assistance, the competitive advantages of efficient compliance, and the future of KYC with augmented compliance teams, automation and distributed KYC. A rich and interesting program, as you can hear. So I hope you'll enjoy it. And don't forget, if you want to keep the conversation going and meet Frank and many other fascinating experts in person, just follow us on fintechbelgium.be. Chris, the floor is yours. Frank, it's great to have you with us. Before we start, just briefly tell us who you are and what you do. Well, I'm somebody who uh, has a long experience in launching new business that brings new stuff, digital stuff to market. Currently, I work at Proximus Luxembourg. Um, there, I'm in charge of a business unit called Digital Trust Solutions. So what we do has three pillars. We provide solutions for digital identity. Solutions for digital KYC and omni-channel client experience. So, what does that mean? Um, you need very often when you interact with clients to identify themselves, and we have a mix of security solutions that do this in a seamless manner. Um, then, digital KYC is obviously the same product, but we add a layer that allows you to conform with anti-modeling, laundering, and terrorist finance regulations to do more due diligence. And, and finally, omni-channel client experience is we have some of our users who build experience across uh, an internet, basically a web portal, uh, a chat, uh, a call center, and inside branches that are seamless because they want to um, interact with uh, their clients in every manner possible. And we enable this in terms of, again, identifying the person, detecting fraudsters and things like this. And we do this, what's fairly important, for counterparts that are legal entities and the ultimate beneficial owners, but we also do this basically for individual retail clients. Frank, tell us, how is AI impacting the value that Proximus brings to the market? Well, that's absolutely essential. It's a bit of a cat and mouse game. Obviously, um, you are confronted to forces who are very good at what they do. And basically, we find solutions to counter them. So when I look at the AI for facial, for example, uh, you know, like 15 years ago or 10 years ago, people were using like paper masks to fake a face. Then they use plastic masks, who like more like Mission Impossible. They're fairly good. And now basically they use replay attacks. That means they will uh, take basically a picture of LinkedIn or internet, transform that in a 3D version and project that on the screen. Right, so very sophisticated, basically. Now we have solutions that detect these things, right? So it's partly by design, so you can ask the person to do something that uh, this instructed, like move your head or blink your eyes and things like this. But even with this, that's not enough. 
the AI will detect basically the speed at which you move ahead, um, basically certain movements, depths of colors and so on that will give you give it away, right, if you're actually not a real person. So when you do uh, a facial picture to match a picture to an ID piece, for example, there's two components, the picture and the match, but also it's what you call the liveness test. And this liveness test will tell you, and we give a certainty score, we are like 95% plus sure that this is a live person, it's not a fake that you're confronted with. And that's an additional security element. And you need to evolve this constantly. Uh, to add to this, we talked about facial biometrics, that's fairly widespread and mature. Increasingly, um, people will interact with machines using their voice. Um, so they're voice modules. And if you look at voice modules, basically it's partly speech to text, finding out what you have said, right? So that the machine can basically act on it and service you and answer your question. But another module linked to that is basically also rec voice recognition. Is it actually the same voice than you had before, notwithstanding whether you have a cold or things like this, right? But also there's a, a liveness module, i.e. is this a live voice? Is this somebody maybe who taped your voice and restructured it? It is a synthetic version of your voice. Based on the sinus curves and on our AI analytics, the system will flag if a voice is a fake voice. And finally, another important aspect is voice sentiment. Now, why is that important? For two uh, purposes. One is defensive. So there is a voice tremolo and pattern that is basically recognizable when people are excessively nervous, and that may be an indication of fraud. But also, you may actually want to detect that the client is not happy. So you may start the interaction with the chatbot that speaks to a client. And if the system detects, well, this client is really getting angry, it probably means the chatbot doesn't provide any good answers. So maybe you want to have a human join in and to help the situation. Now, you may not need it in 80 to 90% of the situation where the voice chatbot will be perfect. But for that 5 to 10%, then you need a human, right? That will still help out. So that's, you know. And that's all a few components of DI and how DI will help you with that client experience. On one side, secure fraud, you know, and ensure the KYC on the other side actually enable client convenience, which at the end of the day you need to do if you, if you want to make them happy. Yeah. Now, I'm curious to get your opinion on how is technology removing friction out of the KYC process and at the same time increasing security? You, you touched on a few key points. So let's start with convenience, right? I want to consume a financial service anytime, 24-7. I don't want to go to a branch to do this. So if I want to, let's say, there's two aspects to this. One, I want to create a bank account. I want to be able to do it 10 at night while I'm home on my computer, right? At my convenience. So that, that's really one aspect. There's also a different angle to it where we're not totally yet. If you call about micro consumption of financial services or immersive or integrated, you know, seamless financial services, I'm somewhere, I want to shop a product. And now I I'm potentially could take a loan immediately, right? Buy now, pay later. Um, I may want to create very spontaneously a financial service relationship just to consume that one financial service. If this is easy and seamless, I could broaden the financial services I use, right? I'm not stuck with the current financial service providers I had, but I could go for a new one that actually in this context offers exactly the solution at the right price as a consumer I want. Another big building block is, and you talked about this frictionless, right? So as a consumer, the KYC part, whether it's in a bank or in gaming or whatever you do, is actually not what you want. Even if I go into a, basically a shop and I buy a product, I want the product. Yeah. The buying and paying part is actually, I'm not a, I know I need to do it, but I'm the least interested in this. I want the product, I want the service. And it's the same with KYC. As a consumer, I kind of grasp that I need to do it. But if it's frictionless in the background, then it's even better. So 
If I know that I can basically create a financial relationship to consume a financial product or a different type of product within two to three minutes and be done, and the lots of checks are done in the background, okay, and it's seamless and I won't get stopped and I don't need to print out something, send it somewhere and so on. So it's 100% online if I would want to. No, that has a lot of value to a consumer. I'll put a caveat there, it's interesting enough. Too much invisibility is not always what you want. Why? Because you also need to portray security. So you need to show them you're doing certain checks because if they open a bank account and they seem there's no check at all, they'd say, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, where? I mean, how do they know it's me, right? In a certain way. So it's, it's an equilibrium, right? Convey safety that you're serious and you're really protecting them because at the end you need to protect the client too, right? But at the same time, don't waste their time and make this extremely frictionless. Okay, and Frank, tell us, how do you balance the development of an omni-channel strategy to avoid creating digital exclusion? It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting question that also transitions somehow in the ethical uh, aspects of AI and all, all these things, right? Um, so there, there is basically, you need to make sure that you give clients the impression that they're still in charge in a certain way, right? and that you don't create a divide and exclusion, right? By saying, if you're not super digitally savvy, then you're lost, right? So you must give them an option in the process that if they're lost, they could get some kind of help, right? And say, put them on a different channel and not, not leave them alone. That I think is very important. I think the other thing is also is to experiment a bit. Um, so meaning if there is new options to identify yourself, just to launch it out, and, out there and see what happens, right? For this, what's very important is that you actually collect data. Um, and also, let me go back to definitional matters. There's a big divide between multi-channel and omni-channel. I could have a digital channel online, uh, let's say a bank branch and a, a phone banking. That is multi-channel. But to have this omni-channel, so for this to be an omni-channel solution, these need to communicate. Meaning, if I wanted to buy some shares online and I didn't succeed and I walked the next day in my bank, the account manager who normally sees me should have somehow an information saying, oh, by the way, this is what he, he or she tried to do and maybe didn't succeed. So they should already know why I'm here, right? Or if I had looked for loans, for example, right? And I didn't take them, maybe they should know about it. Maybe as a gold picture, not, oh, it only happens online and actually the account managers have no clue, right? Um, so to, to be able to help your clients basically. So proactively make sure they're not lost so there's these two aspects to it, I would say. Yeah. And Frank, do you think compliance could become a source of competitive advantage in the market today? It is already a competitive advantage, right? For one reason is if your compliance is fast and seamless and you don't have to come back to do more, you know, enhanced due diligence based on false alert and things like this, the client convenience, your client satisfaction just goes up. There's nothing worse than a client having the feeling they're suspicious. I mean, that to make business, not the best way to talk to a client, right? Uh, so on that side, in terms of client interaction is super competitive. The other thing is cost. I mean, to have a compliance team, to have to pay people, there are banks who still pay people basically to do like forensic ID piece, verific, document verification, things like this per hand, right? Um, it creates huge costs. It creates huge frictions. You got to do repetitive tasks, right? And if you can become more competitive there, basically you can also become more competitive price-wise for your clients, number one, or have higher margins, right? It's as simple as, simple as this. I, you use your compliant team for better purposes. 
Um, there is also another aspect, it's about risk management. Um, there's a cost of risk. If, you know, obviously you can be and there have been increased fines, right? But it's actually about a reputation. You know, having your name in the newspapers because you have had a compliance process that is not in order and you have been sanctioned for this. Or uh, you had black sheep and that has come to the press. So the reputational impact is basically very high. And you need to balance that reputational and that basically penalty risk compared to um, the fact that if you don't take enough risks, right, i.e. super watertight, you're going to simply lose clients right, and spend too much money on it. Okay, Frank, if we look into the future, let's say the next five years, what is your vision for Proximus in the KYC space? My vision of KYC space, on one hand, is that technology is going to improve and it's going to help to create what I call augmented compliance teams i.e. they're going to be able to look much deeper if they want to on their choice into a file because they have far more information, right? To have more precise risk score, be much faster to detect something that may be suspicious because AI is going to simply help them flag it in a certain way. That was one block. The second block is, I would say, automation. So a lot of manual tasks are going to be automated, right? That is going to be uh, straight through processing, uh, no paperwork anymore and so on. The other big building block is what I would call shared or distributed KYC. Um, there have been initiatives now in the financial world that say, well, why does a client actually have to re-register every time they open a new bank account, right? Um, it would be possible that they basically create their KYC file. It could be in a self-sovereign wallet, for example, or a wallet that's managed by a bank or maybe an ITC operator or you know, a mobile operator, right? Just saying out there. It seems the, the EU is pushing for wallet technology, but it could be a different type of file. And then basically this information could be on with the basic acceptance uh, and a proof of acceptance by the client um, be shared with other providers whether it's a bank or something else. So it's what the notion of shared KYC or a bank could have part of the KYC information, another bank could have another part of the KYC information. Again, if the client consents, you need a proof of consent, you could share that information. So then don't have to again that piece of ID or again give that proof of residence. If somebody has done the work and validated it, you have two things, you have it from the source and somebody validated it and you can share it. So what I call shared and distributed KYC is probably the third building block out there. So the one is what I call the augmented KYC team, right? The second one is like superb automation to make everyone's life easier. And the third one is distributed shared KYC. Well, Frank, thank you so much for spending time with us and for sharing so many insights. Thank you for your time. Great interview. All right. Thank you for this great moment. And thank you for joining us again. We hope you enjoyed it. To discover more content on the latest trends in fintech and our ecosystem, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all mainstream podcast channels. All the information you need is available on fintechbelgium.be. I really hope to see you soon in Brussels at one of our events. Take care.